Thank you. God bless you. You know, if somehow we miss our guests and the Lord doesn't come back for 10 or 20 more years, um, these uh, young people will be in their 30s and 40s, maybe a little more, and uh, they'll be the middle-agers, right? And they'll have the, uh, the kids that are uh, maybe uh, teenagers and things like that. And these will be the ones running things, probably. What great memories that God is giving us. You know, as a church family together, as the years roll on, the Lord blesses and it just seems to get sweeter. It really does. Hard to believe that our 20th uh, anniversary as a church is just around the corner. It's coming up in October. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. Now, you're going to need a couple of little bookmarks because we'll be looking at a couple of passages. Matthew and into the Old Testament prophets. So um, get yourself uh, something to make a little bookmark with. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, actually Matthew 24 and 25 are tribulational. They have nothing to do with the church age. They have nothing to do with this time in which we live and, you know, the the rapture. The rapture at this point here in Matthew 24, 25 was not known. It was still a mystery to the church. The early Christians didn't know anything about a rapture, let alone about the church. And it was only after Pentecost that they started to realize that Christ was setting up his church, that Israel was put on the back burner. And um, they're still on the back burner today. They're going to be brought to the front burner during the tribulation time. But the Lord brought about his church. There we are. And uh, Matthew 24 and 25 were not written to the church. They were written to Israel. If you have chapter 24 open, would you stand to your feet, please? We'll be reading just verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, and make a comment or two. We'll have a word of prayer, then you may be seated, and then we're going to talk about this coming tribulation. And so if you would lift your voice and read together with me verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, let's do it now. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Wow, that's uh, quite a mouthful right there. You know, we've had a lot of uh, horrible things happen in the world in the last few years. Um... Of course, 2001, in September, September 11th, you remember, we had a terrible terrorist attack, and uh, some 3,000 people lost their lives, and it changed the world. 2011, uh, sorry, 9-11 in 2001, it, it changed the whole world is what it did. I remember the news on December 26, the tsunami that hit uh, Indonesia. Uh, the day after Christmas. As I understand, the Christians in the, uh, the town wanted to uh, hold a Christmas celebration, but the powers that be said, no, you don't. If you want to do any of that stuff, you can go up to the top of the hill. And so they, uh, they obeyed. They went to the top of the hill, had a Christmas celebration, and then the tsunami hit all at the base of the hill. A couple hundred thousand people lost their lives. Um, In 2011, um, Japan also had a tsunami and they had the nuclear reactor disaster. Those are just a couple of little highlights of dozens of things that have happened. And more and more, the world is becoming an unfriendly place. And the unsaved people all, of the, all over the world, they know that something is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. They just don't know what. As Christians, we're blessed to have the Bible. 
And God's Word tells us what's going to happen. So we're going to look at that tonight. Let's first pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in Your presence. We acknowledge Your your wisdom and Your sovereignty. We acknowledge Your ownership, not just of the world, but of of our lives as well. Help us, Lord, tonight as we look into the book. Holy Spirit of God, grip our hearts with the reality of what is going to happen. Whether we like it or not, believe it or not, want it or not, it is going to come to pass. If we're smart, Lord, we'll prepare ourselves. Help us to be smart tonight. Please bless the preaching of the Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now we talk about the tribulation. Uh, Guys, do we have that PowerPoint? Is that ready? All right. The word English word tribulation comes from a Latin word, tribulum. Now, please notice what we're looking at here. Got my handy dandy little laser pointer. And it's got batteries in it. Oh, that's funny. It used to work. That doesn't matter. How about this guy? Oh, it works. When you... No, it's not going to work. You can't even see that red dot, can you? Can you see the red dot? No. Can you see the screen? All right. Imagine a red dot. The red dot's hovering over that sled. Now that sled, um, this is what they would use to separate the uh, wheat uh, from the chaff. After they've gone through their fields and cut down all of the big stalks and everything, and they they want to get the grain out of the, the husk, and they want to separate it, And this is old school farming now. But this is where the word tribulation comes from. It's that sled. On the bottom of the sled, this particular guy has got a lot of uh, stones um, glued or fastened in there somehow. I wish my little lighter worked here. My pointer. All right. Maybe after the service you can look into that. Figure it out. What's wrong with that guy? All right. Um, what they would do is they would uh, take this thing and they would drag it over all of the uh, the grain. The grain is mixed in there with the husks, and what it would do is it would crunch it, and it would cause a separation to happen, and the little uh, kernels of grain would would come out of the husks. So now you've got the the grain and the husks uh, by one of these things. Can you imagine if you were laying on the ground and this thing was pulled over top of you? The farmer would sometimes, he'd hook up, you can see it coming down from either side. And it's a, a business that they would hook up to their oxen or their horse or their mule or, or something to pull that thing through uh, the threshing field here. And uh, sometimes the farmer would sit on it to give extra weight. Uh, or he'd pile big stones on it and he'd... Uh, take his long stick and tap old bossy in the back end there and giddy up you and away she'd go and pull this massive heavy thing and it would just grind everything underneath it. Can you imagine if you were laying down and this thing went over top of you? Wow, that's gruesome. Back in the old days of the, the sailing ships and uh, the old sailors and pirates and things like that, what they would do sometimes to punish uh, the sailors who were very disobedient is they would keel haul them. They would get hauled under the keel of the ship. The ships, and it's, this is still true today, ships gather barnacles. These little living organisms, whatever, would stick to the hull of the ship. And um, usually they die and their shells were, were hard. A lot of ships have to be taken in uh, to dry dock, raised up, and power sprayed and whatever they do to get those barnacles off there because it actually slows down the, the ship's flight in the water. And so uh, they, would, they would tie ropes to the hands of the sailor and ropes to the feet of the sailor and they'd throw the rope over the, the front there, the bow there of the, uh, the ship. And uh, then they would yank the guy and whoa, over he'd go. And they would drag him underneath and he'd come up the other side a bloodied mess. Sometimes he'd come up the other side dead. But that's the kind of uh, thing they would do. Very gruesome punishment. 
uh, to some of the sailors back then. Well, getting a uh, tribulum dragged over your body would be sort of in that neighborhood. And from this, we get the idea of tribulation. The idea of the seven-year tribulation is uh, similar to the experience of having one of these things dragged over your body. The people that have to go through the tribulation, many will die. In fact, most of the world's population is going to die. And uh, it's not going to be nice, clean, you know, uh, passing away in your sleep. It's going to be a lot of uh, disease, um, a lot of um, uh, misery. Um, there's going to be all kinds of pests and bugs and all kinds of diseases, all kinds of uh, eruptions in the sun and people uh, developing incredible blisters. You think it's hot now. The days are coming when uh, the sun is, is, is just going to almost explode on the planet. And uh, people are going to get fried. Um, the whole seven years is likened to one of those things getting dragged over your body. And that's where the word tribulation comes from. Now, just for those of you who are interested in farming, <clears throat> after the farmer would go out and cut down all of the stalks of grain, come back to his, his floor, the big area on the ground he calls the threshing floor, and then he drags this contraption over, back and forth, back and forth to grind all of the, uh, the grain to separate the little bits of grain from the chaff. Then what he does is what's called winnowing. And maybe you're familiar with this where now you've got a, a great big mess of both grain and chaff. And they would put in a fork-like device and then toss it into the air. And the wind would blow and catch the lighter chaff and blow the lighter chaff away and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. And that's how they would separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, these um, means of farming are used uh, like graphic pictures in the Bible as to what God is going to do in the, uh, the tribulation time. And we'll just black that out for the moment. Uh, we're talking about a period of seven years upon planet Earth when um, the grinding and the affliction and the anguish will be increasing and increasing and increasing for people on Earth. Now, back in 1613, in William Shakespeare's day, Shakespeare wrote of the torture chamber of the Tower Hill in London, and he referred to it using the word tribulation. And so tribulation has come to mean torture and affliction and anguish. Now I have for you a, a little picture here of um, sort of a chart. Uh, this is very basic. It's not in-depth and detailed, but it shows you uh, we are here on the left in the church age, right? You see where that orange line is there, right? See that? That's just about where we are, folks. You know, we are not way back there where that little bubble is. We're right up there where that uh, line is. And the seven years of tribulation is divided roughly in half. Three and a half, three and a half. We're going to talk about the Antichrist. We mentioned him briefly. We're going to be talking about him. He comes to power and about halfway through, that's where uh, we have the abomination that causes desolation, where he goes in and desecrates the temple and pretty much destroys it. And then you have the last half of the tribulation, which is so so much worse than the first half. And then finally, at the end of the seven years, the Lord Jesus returns. Um, <clears throat> we do not have time tonight to teach you all there is to know about, at least what the Bible teaches, about the tribulation. We don't have enough time. I'm thinking, though, that... Um, Come September, maybe what we'll do on Wednesday nights is we'll start a study in the book of Revelation. Many years ago, we did that, and it was really interesting. And maybe it's time to do it again. And so I've been thinking about that. 
We're currently finishing up the book of Philippians. That's the joy book. That's a happy place to be. I hope you're going to come here Wednesday for the prayer meeting and the Bible study. Um, Leave your comfort zone and come to church. That's not to say ill about the church. It's just, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of energy to get off the couch and, you know, come into the Lord's house. Uh, Do it if you can. Come this Wednesday. Well, um, there are some people who who think that um, uh, Christians are going to go through this tribulation. There are, in fact, a lot of Christians that think somehow that they're not going to be spared, that they're going to have to go through this tribulation. And some of their reasons, one of their reasons at least is, well, why should Christians be spared from all of that persecution and all of that trial? And um, Christians are not spared. Uh, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to live for the Lord, the devil's going to give you a hard time. Sometimes the hard time will will be uh, financial. Sometimes it'll be physical. Sometimes a mental, emotional, spiritual for sure. But you will have a battle on your hands if you're going to live for the Lord. But listen, it's a good battle. It's a good battle. You don the armor of God that he speaks of in the book of Ephesians. And you get on your knees and pray and take the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. And you will be more than a conqueror, God promises, because it's his strength through you. And that's how we grow. And that's how God uh, wants us to, 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 to be, is, is strong and mature. And so we shouldn't run from it. But some Christians say, well, now listen. Uh, during the First World War, the Christians had to go through that and all kinds of people suffered. During the Second World War, all kinds of people and lots of Christians suffered. And so on the basis of that, we think we're going to go through the tribulation. But they fail to understand the whole purpose You see, these days, the devil is pouring out his wrath on the church. But come the tribulation, it's not the devil pouring out his wrath on the world. It's God pouring out his wrath on the world. And the Bible teaches us that we've been saved from wrath. We'll look again at that this evening. But um, keep a bookmark there, would you please, in uh, Matthew uh, 24. And just go back to uh, Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3, some people who believe that we'll be going through the tribulation point to uh, Matthew 3 as a proof. And let's see here. Matthew 3, verse 11, Jesus speaking. Um, nope, sorry, we, this is John. <coughs> John speaking about Jesus. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will throughly purge his floor. The idea of throughly purging the floor, it's this picture I showed you about the winnowing of the grain and all that. Normally what the Jewish people would do is do a reasonable job at winnowing the grain and take that into their barns, and they'd leave some grain out there for the gleaners the poor people who would come afterwards and get some, and that's how they could survive. But that's not what's going to happen here. Jesus will throughly, in other words, he's going to leave nothing out. There won't be anything left out. He will throughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And this here is used as a bit of a a proof for some people to prove that uh, the church is going to go through the the tribulation. But that's a mistake because the wheat and the chaff here are not uh, uh, talking about the the church at all. It's it's a reference to Israel. It's not a reference to the church. The church is absolutely unknown at this point. Absolutely. This is a reference to Israel. And the tribulation is going to separate and purify Israel to receive her Messiah. You can jot down, as a, as a reference, you can jot down Malachi 3.3. Malachi, M-A-L, dot 3.3. It says these words, And he shall sit as a refiner and, a, and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And so there's just a little comparison verse. But God will do the purging himself. 
The coming seven years of tribulation is not a surprising new truth in the Bible. This idea of the tribulation is not brand new as of the New Testament. This is an Old Testament truth. And we're going to see that it was known to the Jews. So let's go back into the Old Testament and find the book of Jeremiah. You'll find it to the right-hand side of Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah, then Jeremiah, chapter 30. Jeremiah, chapter 30. And I'd like you to notice verse 7. So read this verse out loud together with me, and I want you to notice a term, an expression here that's used in reference to the tribulation. Verse 7, let's read it out. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. You notice these words, Jacob's trouble. That is a reference to the tribulation. Now, if you'll go to the book of Daniel, turn to the right, you get past Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll find Daniel chapter 12. And I'm going to have you put a little bookmark there in Daniel. <clears throat> we'll come back to it. Daniel chapter 12. Follow as I read verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Now watch this. And there shall be a time of trouble. There it is right there. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. It's the Lamb's book of life. And so you can jot down if you want in the margin of your Bible. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. That earlier verse that we read. So these are good verses to compare one with another. Now, the tribulation was spoken of by Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection. So now we're going to go back to Matthew. Back to Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 24, where we were. Remember, chapter 24 and 25 are tribulational. And that will save you from making a lot of mistakes. I've done a lot of study and research over the last 40 years uh, into the uh, tribulation, the rapture, and all these subjects. And I've seen what a lot of men have written. <clears throat> a number of them reach back into Matthew 24 and 25. And they're looking for proof texts to prove something that's happening today. And it doesn't work that way. 24 and 25 had nothing to do with the, the rapture and the church age. It's all to do with the Jews in the tribulation. So in Matthew 24, now we've read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now look please at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, pause for a minute, you know, remember the, the chart I showed you up here and the halfway point. The abomination which makes desolation. That's what he's talking about. Verse 15. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. You see, this is a very critical moment right here, right at that halfway time when the Antichrist comes and he kind of a, destroys the temple. He desecrates it. As soon as that happens, Jesus is giving instruction to the Jews, get out of town. You don't have time to wait. Now look also at verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now look up for a minute. The tribulation, remember, is divided into two sections. The first three and a half and the second three and a half. The whole thing we call the tribulation. But technically, if you want to be technical, it's the last half. That's the great tribulation. So you've got tribulation and then you've got great tribulation. 
And so that's what Jesus seems to be referring to here. Verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And so here we have the Lord Jesus speaking of the tribulation time. The tribulation does not begin with the rapture. If you are not familiar with that term, the rapture is a term that means to catch away. A catching away. The term is not found in the Bible. It's just a term that we we use to refer to when Jesus comes in the clouds prior to the tribulation and catches his bride away. The rapture has that idea of to suddenly seize and to carry away. And it's a good occasion. And some people think that the rapture is what begins the seven years, but it doesn't really. It's before the seven years, but it doesn't begin the seven-year period. The clock has stopped ticking. And when it starts ticking again, that's when the seven years, you start counting off the seven years. Well, what is it that starts the clock ticking again? It's not the rapture. It's what comes immediately after the rapture. It's the peace agreement with Israel. Somehow the Antichrist whom I believe is alive and well on planet Earth. I think he's out there somewhere. You may have your ideas who you think he might be. I may have a few ideas. Chances are no one's right. Our ideas are good ideas based upon good observation, but chances are we're wrong. The tribulation does not begin with the rapture because the rapture is something that's going to happen without warning. The rapture is not known here in Matthew 24 and 25. It was absolutely kept a mystery until God told Paul and Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where we have this doctrine of the rapture. You can look that up later. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, all that sort of thing. That's 1 Corinthians 15 and, and 1 Thessalonians um, uh, chapter 4. You'll, you'll find about this uh, mystery that he talks about. But it's the signing of the seven-year peace treaty that begins the seven-year clock ticking. Now you know it's been in the news. And uh, I know that um, America has been trying to broker a peace deal with Israel. Israel's got a lot of enemies around the world. And if you ever look at the map of uh, Europe and the Middle East and all that, particularly the Middle East, you'll see all these nations all up here in tiny little Israel right there. You'll see Russia all over here, tiny little Israel on the map. Israel has a lot of enemies. She really needs a peace agreement. Well, how's that going to happen? Well, someone's going to broker a peace agreement. You know, when I was over in uh, Israel a few years ago, I got to talk to uh, some uh, Jewish folks, and um, I've done a a bunch of study on this as well, looked into their writings, and here's what I found, that the Jews have always thought the Messiah was a man, not God, but a man, a man with super abilities, a man who would free them from the yoke of the Roman bondage back 2,000 years ago, And they've carried that same idea today. They think that the Messiah is a man who will broker the peace agreement and will allow them to build the temple. Right now, sitting on the the land in which Solomon's temple used to stand, um, of course, that was destroyed, and then that got rebuilt later, and then added to again and that was the temple that was around when Jesus was around but then it got destroyed again in 70 AD and since then they don't have a temple and the Jews are thinking that the man that brokers the deal that lets them build the temple that man is the Messiah the Hebrew word Messiah is the same word as the Greek Christ Christ and Messiah are the same 
One is Hebrew, one is Greek, but it's the same meaning. It's the same essence, the same person. And so that's how we come with the expression antichrist. The false Christ. Anti can mean against, but it can also mean in the place of. And this is what scholars think, is that it's the false Christ come in place of the real Christ. And he'll be a man of many talents. He's not going to be absolutely adored and worshipped by everyone in the world. He's going to have a lot of enemies. But he's going to have a lot of supporters. And so uh, if you go back to Daniel, you got that bookmark? Go back to Daniel chapter 9 this time. I want to show you the clock. In Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. That's 69 weeks, folks. And the idea prophetically works out to 483 years from when Daniel made this prediction. And it says, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So there was Messiah in Jerusalem, now 2,000 years ago, offering himself to the Jews, but he was crucified, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant. Here it is right there. The covenant with many for one week. The one week, there's your seven years. Each day representing a year. So there's your seven years of tribulation. He, that's the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. That is what we read about. Jesus made reference to it. We read about it in Matthew 24 a few minutes ago. The abomination that maketh desolation. The Antichrist who makes this seven-year peace agreement and then breaks it halfway through. Uh, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now you say, boy, there's words I don't understand. That's okay. That's all right. You may, uh, after study, uh, understand them better. Or you may understand them in heaven. How about that? But the tribulation is a time when God pours out his wrath upon the world and upon Israel. It's not the devil pouring out his wrath on the world. It's the Lord God pouring out his wrath on the world and on Israel. But here's the difference. Israel wakes up. Israel smells the coffee. You know, Israel comes to its senses, whereas the world does not. So, what will these changes be during these coming seven years? What's going to happen? Well, I've got three basic uh, areas to uh, share of changes A, B, and C. A is political changes. The world will become dominated by a political force, which the Bible refers to as a revived Roman Empire. Back in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire was the greatest empire the world had ever seen. It was so well organized, it had the greatest armies, and everything was joined at the top to one man. You know, the Caesar Augustus guy sitting on the top of things. and He was the guy that actually people had to worship. They had to burn a little incense to him. He had to be... Uh, venerated as a god. Then it all fell apart over the next 400 years. <clears throat> the Bible indicates it's going to come back. And Europe is uni un unifying itself. Europe is coming together. 
I know that Britain is doing a Brexit and they're trying to come out. But Europe is a very powerful, and boy, oh boy, talk about politics and dirty tricks and so on. They are really trying to unify themselves. Where does America fit all in there? America's not mentioned in the Bible. And there's a few speculative reasons as to that. But this political system that is forming right now, this political system will eventually be headed up by a single powerful man whom the Bible refers to as the Antichrist. He will be the master politician. Please don't think that the whole world is going to love and adore him. That is mistake. Remember when Jesus came, did the whole world love and adore him? No. He had so many, many enemies. He had some that loved and adored him, but he had a lot that hated him. When the Antichrist comes to power, it'll be very similar. He'll have a lot of people that love him and a lot of people that hate him with a passion. When Adolf Hitler came to power, a lot of people loved him, but a lot of people didn't. And as the years went on and his true colors came out, more and more people hated the man. And several attempts were made to to kill him. And he was not the Antichrist, but he sort of pictures, if you will, he pictures the Antichrist. He rises from obscurity, which is what Adolf Hitler did. And through political means, he took over. And boy, his agenda was to eliminate all the Jews in the world, to kill them all. That has been Satan's goal. God made a promise that the Jews would always be around. And no other nation has gone through what they've gone through and are still alive. There's nations of people that have been around a long time, but they've not gone through anything like what Israel's gone through. No nation, no other nation has survived going through the kinds of things they've gone through. At one point, the Hittites were a world power to be reckoned with. They're gone. They're gone. The Moabites were another world power. They're gone. Gone. You say, well, what about the Greeks? They were a world power and they're still around. Yes, but they never went through what Israel went through. And Israel's still around today. If you're ever looking for a miracle, just look at Israel. That's a miracle of God's grace and mercy that they're still around. Now here's the point. God made a promise. And God's promise was that Israel would would always be. What the devil has been trying to do is destroy Israel, destroy all the Jews, because by doing that, he has broken God's promise. When God makes a promise, it has to come true. If it can be broken, then God's power can be broken. And Satan for thousands of years has been trying to break his power so that he can take over. And by destroying the Jews, he can break God's promise. And I believe that that is the secret agenda. That is what the devil's after. The devil doesn't care so much about you and I. He doesn't care so much if people bow down to him here on earth. But what he cares about is breaking God's power. And he can do that if he can break God's promise. You have a Bible full of promises. They cannot be broken. Let's stand upon the promises. Israel has been promised by God that they would always be around. The Antichrist is going to try every way he can to destroy the Jews. And he will try to convince the world's people that the Jews are the problem. This is what Hitler did. And he tried to convince his people, his nation of Germany, the German people, he tried to convince them that all the world's trouble was caused by the Jews. They are the troublemakers. Get rid of them and we'll have utopia. Get rid of all the Jews and we'll have heaven on earth. That's what he was pushing for, pushing and pushing. And he was so proud of it and wrote to the effect that after he's dead, people will realize that he was right and respect him for it. And we still have groups today that are anti-Semitic. We still have people and groups and organizations that are trying to eliminate and destroy all of the Jews. Satan puts them up to it. 
because Satan wants to break God's promise. This master politician, loved by many and hated and despised by many, will slowly change into the fierce dictator that we know as Antichrist and will rule with a reign of terror. Nation will rise against nation and there will be many wars and the Antichrist will be busy trying to control things. Now already we see this rising of the old world Roman Empire. We see that happening over in Europe. They're coming together with great force. There's a lot of pressure on nations to unify. What's happening with America, uh, which is currently the most powerful single nation in the world? Watch the news, folks. Watch the news. There are going to be coming political changes. There are going to be coming economic changes. For some people, they'll experience great riches, but most people will not. Today, most people are in what we call, well, I shouldn't say most, but in our country, I suppose we could, the middle class. The middle class has only been an invention of the last couple hundred years. It hasn't always been. I'll tell you what has always been. The rich and the poor. That is what has always been. And only in the last two or three hundred years do we have the middle class when the worker, the average man, could afford to buy himself a home, could afford to retire, things like that. Luxuries of the middle class are going to be taken away in the tribulation. Some will experience vast wealth and riches but most will not. The middle class will be gone, taken away, and you'll be back to the rich and to the poor. It's coming. Most will likely be wiped out as rising prices force them to declare bankruptcy. Skyrocketing prices on food, automobiles, gasoline for automobiles, in fact. I tell you, I'm there's a gas station near my house, and... In the, in the early part of the day, the gas prices are up. In the afternoon, the gas prices are down. On long weekends, the gas prices are way up. Are these, these people, it's whatever they can chisel out of us. That's how they regulate the gas prices. And it's not going any lower. It's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. Maybe we should all have electric cars with long extension cords and plug them into our, our houses and drive drive around 100 feet or so. Cost of electricity, cost of, of uh, natural gas, the cost of housing will make the present world conditions appear like the good old days. In the tribulation, when gas prices at the pump is $10 a liter, $15 a liter, you'll wish with all your heart you could pay $1.50 a liter. Rising prices of houses. You think that it's stinking expensive now. In the tribulation time. Bang! Prices are going to go so sky high. The rich and the poor. It's going to make these days seem like the good old days. Most everyone here can probably think back to a time that they would call the good old days. 20 years ago, when my family and I moved here to BC, the price of gas was 40 cents a liter. 40 cents a liter. Hot dog. Man, I'll take three liters, please. I can afford that. Then the price went to 50 cents. And then 60 cents. And then we heard that it could go as high as a dollar. And we thought, Jesus will come back if it ever goes to a dollar. Well, it went to a dollar, didn't it? It went over a dollar. And what did people do? They went like this. Oh, well, what can we do? Here we go. And they would just buy it. They just found the money somehow. Now, some people did other arrangements, but the greater number of people said, oh, well, here it is. And they just paid more. People are being conditioned, conditioned, conditioned. People today are saying, well, it was bad last week, but we got through it. It was bad two weeks ago. It was bad a year ago, but we got through it. 
It's bad today, but we'll get through it. And when the tribulation begins and things start to really take off, they're going to say the same thing. And a lot of people getting into the tribulation are going to say, man, it's bad. But we got through it. Remember how bad it was in 2019? We got through that, didn't we? We'll get through this. And they will deceive themselves. Economic changes. Already we see that happening and worldwide economic woes are happening. Finally, environmental changes. Political changes, economic changes, environmental changes. There'll be other changes as well, mark my word, but these are three of the major ones. The tribulation will be marked by a series of increasingly devastating environmental horror shows. Over in Europe right now, they're experiencing record high heat wave temperatures. They've never had temperature that high before. They're saying that this thing could float over to Greenland. And Greenland is one big massive, you know, bank of ice, if you will. Folks, we have to have the the polar caps. We have to have that because it's all part of the ecological system. It all flows and works together. All that's changing. And over in, in Britain and France and Spain and so on, they're having absolute heat waves and people are dying because of the heat. We're having heat waves in North America. Uh, in the U.S., they've had several of them. It seems to me that they've had some pretty violent storms lately. Yeah, they've always had storms. I know that, but they've had some really violent stuff lately. What's happening? A lot of people are looking at Mother Nature convulsing, and they're saying, oh, oh, the big one's coming. I believe that it's coming in the tribulation. Many more major, major earthquakes are on the way. Tsunamis, famines, diseases. Already there's diseases that doctors have never seen before. Marine life disasters are coming. Vegetation disasters. We drive around this beautiful city. It's called the City of Parks. And we see all of these beautiful trees, lots of green grass, beautiful golf courses. In the tribulation time, these things will be burned up. The only green grass will probably be artificial turf at the football stadium. Every summer for the last, I don't know how many summers, my front lawn turns brown. You know, I'm almost proud of that. Almost. I wish it was green, but it turns brown, but it's my brown. Imagine that worldwide. I wonder what's going to happen to the golf courses. I wonder what's going to happen to the gorgeous, beautiful, paradise-like places in the world. I wonder what's going to happen to Hawaii. I wonder what it's going to look like. Some of the gorgeous places, I wonder what they're going to look like come the tribulation. Worldwide changes. The world becomes a parched, stinking mess. Lots of death in the sea. Lots of fish dying. Already we're seeing some of these things starting to to take shape. But before any of all of this, before any of it happens, the rapture will occur. It will happen. It's that time that Christians are looking forward to. It's one of our great hopes is when Christ comes back for us. And it could happen any time taking all the Christians to heaven. You say, well, that that sounds like a pipe dream. That sounds like pie in the sky. So did Noah's Ark. Huh? Rain from the sky, it's never happened before. And it never did. Up until the day that Noah went into the ark. Then the rain, which normally came as a mist from the ground up, started falling from the sky. And people say, well, look at that. Old Noah was right. Look at that. What a phenomenon. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine these people standing there saying, hey, what's this? Never seen this before. Wow, is that ever something? Something to tell our grandkids about. You know, there are people that have stood on the ocean beach and they said, hey, look at that. All the water's going out. Wow, look at that. Look all the fish flopping all around. Almost for as far as you can see, the water's disappeared. Wow, get your cameras, take pictures of this. Stupid, run for your life, it's a tsunami. And the people standing there taking click, click, click. Oh, oh, 
What's that dark band? What's that noise I hear? Why is the ground moving? Oh, that's the last thing that comes out of their mouth. The tsunami hits at hundreds of miles an hour with such force. Boom, nothing can survive. And those people in Noah's day saying, look at that. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Stupid. (laughs) That's called death. Liquid death. The rapture will happen. It'll happen just as sure as you and I are here in the Lord's house tonight. It will happen. The rapture is a promise of God. It will happen. It's as, it's as guaranteed as tomorrow's sunrise. You say, oh, what if the sun doesn't rise? No, you've got to wait a few years for that one, sweetheart. Because at the end of the tribulation, that's when we get rid of the, uh, you know, the sun there. Listen, I want to give you a brief very brief, blow by blow as to what's going to happen. After the rapture, here we go. Here's a brief timeline of the events during the seven years tribulation. There's 12 of them. Number one, the Antichrist comes to power. Number two, he signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. This is all going to happen quickly in a matter of days, weeks, or maybe a month or two. Number three, two Jewish witnesses will appear in Jerusalem for three and a half years. Who are they? Well, we don't know, but we kind of have a feeling it could be Moses and Elijah or maybe Moses and Enoch or Elijah and Enoch. We don't know, but they're going to be two very prominent Old Testament characters. These two Jewish witnesses will have tremendous power and preaching abilities, and they're going to be preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem. Number four, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem will be built, and it's not going to take seven years to build that temple either. That's going to be put up fast. Number five, 144,000 Jews are going to get saved around the world. I'll say it again, 144,000 Jews, not 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. They've got another place they're going to. 144,000 Jews are going to get saved around the world and they will begin evangelizing. They'll begin preaching about Christ and people will get saved. Number six, Antichrist will begin his one world government. Also the one world economy. Also the one world religion. Number seven, many Gentiles, non-Jews, will become Christians and will become persecuted and killed because halfway through, Antichrist will make everyone take a mark of the beast, either on the forehead or the, the back of the hand. Some sort of 666. I know there's been a lot of speculation. Oh, that's going to be an electronic chip put under the skin. I don't think so. Because I think what Antichrist is looking for is public worship and recognition. And you can't get that from a chip under the skin. Rather, you get that from saying, look, that man has a tattoo in his forehead. He must love the Antichrist. By the way, I don't think the Antichrist is going to refer to himself as the Antichrist. Do you? That's kind of a downer of a name, uh, don't you think? It's kind of a dead giveaway, if you ask me. He's going to have another name, you know, Prince Wonderful or something. And he's going to have this 666. You think that it it means somehow, you know, six could represent uh, one letter of the alphabet and 66 or 60 could represent another and 600 could? No, I don't think so. You say, well, then what do you think it is? I think it's a 666. That's what I think it is. A 666. I know that's deep for some of us, but I think that's what it is. And uh, the thing is, folks, truth is, we don't know. We're only speculating. We're not meant to know. You know who's going to know? Those poor people in the tribulation. Those poor people in the tribulation, if, if we could somehow reach into the future and pull one of them back and ask, who's the Antichrist? Don't you know? Don't you, don't you know who he is? Well, he's been living amongst you. Don't you know? And he would tell us and we'd go, oh, he's the Antichrist? And we'd ask him, what's this uh, mark of the beast, the 666? What does it mean? And he says, don't you know? It's so simple. It's so easy. Don't you realize what it means? And we'd say, no, we haven't a clue. And he would tell us and we'd say, wow. You know, 25 years ago, if someone stood up and said, you know what? 
Take out your device and Google that. We'd all look at them. What planet are you from? What device? What is a Google? Because it wasn't invented. No one knew it 25 years ago. It was an unknown entity. Well, 20 years ago, we say to someone, why don't you just buy that on Amazon? You get it far cheaper. Amazon, you mean that river down in uh, South America? They, they sell things? No, you know, go on your device. What's a device? We're only talking a couple of decades. And a few years from now, in the tribulation, or a few months from now, in the tribulation, those poor people, they're going to know who the Antichrist is. And halfway through the tribulation, they're going to know. Because it's going to be law. You have to have this. And it's going to make perfect sense, the way the Antichrist is going to present it. It's for your protection, your economic protection, your physical protection. You're going to want to do this. And some people are just going to want to do it just because they love him. They love what he stands for and what he's doing. Others will do it. Yeah, that makes perfect economic sense. And I want my, my kids protected and my family protected. Yeah, we're all going to get this thing on the forehead or on the back of the hand. It's going to make perfect sense, just like... Credit cards and debit cards make perfect sense. Why carry a wad of cash with you when you carry a little bit of plastic and you go up to something and you go bleep? That's my favorite game now. When I go to buy something, I take out my little piece of plastic and I say, do you have tap? That's what I ask now. Do you have tap? And they usually say, yes, we do. And I say, mm, thank you. And then they hold it out and I go bleep. And it's paid for. Electronically, they've reached through the wires, taken the money out of my bank, and put it in their pocket. Bleep. Just like that. I know technology is going to be fantastic, but do you realize that when the tribulation comes, with solar conditions, with economic conditions, electrical power, everything going haywire, What's going to happen to all of the dependency on, on the satellites and things? We're not going to get reception. We're going to, they're not going to do us any good here on earth. All this technology that we have today and people are speculating saying, yeah, this is how Antichrist is going to control the world. He's going to have a chip in your back of your hand. He's going to know exactly what you're doing anywhere in the world. Not halfway through the tribulation, he's not. This world is going to be such a mess. The electronics and so on that... that that we hold so dear today are going to be devastated. There's still going to be elect electronics and, and things like that, but it's not going to be what the science fiction writers are saying. World conditions are going to be so horrible. That these things aren't going to work. Cell reception. It's not going to be like what we have today. And Antichrist is going to make a law. And he's going to say, it's all because of the Jews. That's why we're having trouble. They're the ones who poisoned the sky. They're the ones who's caused all this stuff. Them and their religion. If we get rid of them, we'll turn the world back into a Garden of Eden. Yeah! Who's with me? Yeah! And you see, they want to persecute the Jews. Well, <clears throat> at the three and a half year point, someone manages to bump off the Antichrist. They put a bullet in his head or they slice his head off. He gets a deadly wound in his head. He dies. But then he comes back to life. And this is what really empowers him. You know that Jesus came back to life. The Antichrist, the substitute Christ, is going to be killed and he's going to come back to life. Now my personal belief on it is Antichrist is a real human man, a real person with a real soul, a wicked guy. And at that halfway point, when he dies, his soul is going right to hell and that's where he stays. Well, then how does he come back to life? His body comes back to life, I believe, because Satan animates his body, puts his, his body back to life. And I think you'd be able to see it in his eyes. Where there was once the eyes of a human man, now it's like some kind of burning eyes of a demon. Because his whole tone changes at that halfway point, And he is not the same man. This is my speculation on it. Things really get bad. Jesus referred to it as great tribulation. 
And that's why he breaks the peace treaty with Israel. That's why he destroys the temple. The Jews all flee for their lives. Antichrist now demands that people worship him and he kills all who refuse. And all of the Christians, who, people who get saved in the tribulation, they're not taking the mark of the beast. And that means certain death. It's just a matter of time. Millions and millions and millions will die. World population is pushing 8 billion right now. In my humble opinion, by the time you get to the end of the seven years of tribulation, I think that world population will have shrunk to maybe a couple hundred million. We're talking that much death. So much blood, the Bible says it comes up to the horse's bridle. Incredible amount of death. What's the devil doing? He's going to lose all his worshipers, his followers. The devil's not caring about people. He cares about breaking that promise of God. And that's where the battle of Armageddon comes in. And that is um, pretty. That is the next item. That's number 11 here on the list. Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they force a final war. Let's get rid of the Jews once and for all. That's what Armageddon is all about. It's to annihilate the Jews. And as the armies of the world come and circle them about, and they are about to kill the Jews, that's when Jesus returns. Hallelujah! That's when Jesus comes back. The Bible says there comes from his mouth a sharp sword and puts to death all his enemies. All of those wicked people, all of them, all of them, all of them, Jesus just has to say, drop dead and they all fall down just like that the ones who are left standing alive are the ones that are saved who got saved and the nation israel what's left of them will get saved and they will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will weep and they will wail and they will cry my jesus my savior my messiah it'll happen Thumbnail sketch for you. The tribulation is coming and you can prepare for it. You say, how is that? The message is very clear. If you're not saved, you need to be born again. You need to get that looked after. You've got no guarantee on tomorrow. At midnight tonight, the trumpet may sound and Jesus may call us all home. If you're here tonight and you're not born again, You've never come to Jesus and admitted that you are the sinner that he died for. That it was your hell that he dipped his soul into. He shed his blood for you. We may think you're a nice person, but nice people don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. Those are the only ones. Jesus said he's not come to call the, the, the healthy, the well, but the sick. He's not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Listen, I'll tell you, that includes me. 44 years ago, I did business with Jesus and I told him that I am the sinner. And would you please forgive me my sins and come into my heart and be my savior and wash me clean and make sure I go to heaven. I'm trusting in no one else but you, Lord Jesus. And that day on April the 6th, 1975, in the ballroom of the Holiday Inn in Montreal, the airport Montreal, Holiday Inn. I went forward on an invitation. Couldn't even make it to the front. There were so many others coming. Halfway up the aisle, that's as close as I could get, and I got on my knees and I asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me. And he came into my heart that very day. It was about 12 noon on a Sunday. And I was born again. I was saved. I jumped to my feet. Hallelujah. I found him whom my soul, my soul had, 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 had desired, had yearned. Hallelujah. That's the Bible's answer to man's trouble. Be born again. There are some unsaved people that think, well, I got plenty of time still to get saved. If I don't get saved now, pastor said people will get saved in the tribulation and I'll just, I'll get saved then. Uh, no, not, not necessarily. Not necessarily. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will read where Paul wrote that those who 
refuse the gospel today will believe the lie of Antichrist in the tribulation. It's like sanity will be taken from. You know, people that have Alzheimer's, it's like their sanity is taken, right? It's, they can't process. It, it's like their, their thinking power is gone. It's been taken from them. And people today who hear the way of salvation and hear how to be saved, and they say, no, not today. No. Like this morning, I told you about that young lady at the funeral, a young girl, and I asked her, wouldn't you want to know for sure yourself how you can get to heaven? And she put her head down and grit her teeth and never said a word. She just shook her head and turned and walked away from me. And people who do that today may never get saved. Why should God do it? They had plenty of opportunity to be saved today. They put it off, put it off, put it off. Jesus comes in the clouds, takes his children home. The Antichrist steps up, starts the tribulation, and they say, Ah, I need to get saved. Not necessarily. They may have reason taken from them. And they may think, Oh, saved? That's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, Prince Wonderful, a.k.a. the Antichrist. Yeah, he's the man. He's what's going to get us through. Yeah, yeah, those, those Jews, we've got to get rid of them. He's right. And they'll believe the lie. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, read about it later. The Bible says this, for, I, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in a day of salvation have I secured thee. That means to, to run to your help. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time you need to be saved. Not tomorrow. Now. But the Bible has another clear message for you who are saved. You who are born again. And that's this very simply. You need to live your life to the full for Jesus Christ. Don't live your life for the world. For things that pass away and mean nothing. Even though they may look good right now. I'm telling you. They'll mean nothing in the day of Christ. Live your life full, full for the Lord Jesus. Because when he comes for you, nothing else will matter. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer.